Hey Hennis fans, thank you so much for your listenership and support throughout 2023. The team is taking a break throughout December, but we will be releasing full versions of some of our most popular stories to tide you through until the new year, where we will come back with even more heinous cases. Chan Man Lok was seated in a brightly lit room. Surrounding him were four walls and one mirror. He knew people were looking through the mirror. An interrogator walked in. So, Chan Man Lok, 34 years old, mafia. Tell us why was Fan Man E's DNA all over your apartment? She's a drug addict and she owes money. We had a deal. We find a place to set up a brothel and Man E would prostitute for us. It's as simple as that, Man Lok might have said. The interrogator looked towards the mirror and back at Man Lok. You're right, she died at our place, but it was due to a drug overdose. The interrogator was looking straight at him. That might be true. But tell me, Man Lok, why the hell are her organs inside your fridge? You're listening to Heinous, an Asian true crime podcast brought to you by Mediacorp and produced by One Up Media. I'm your host, Yo Guangjin. The case that we're about to uncover is one of the most widely documented cases. And yet, in a way, it isn't at all. Reason being, the majority of the case facts came from a single source. A young girl who was 14 years old at the time of her confession in May 1999. Who this girl was and how she contributed both to the mystery and the murder of this case will be explored later on. But for now, we know at least one thing for certain. The victim at the centre of this story. A 23-year-old lady named Fan Man Yi. The American Medical Association publishes the journal or JAMA for short. A segment of its publication includes pediatric research. And in October 1998, just one year before Fan Man Yi's death, JAMA published a meta-research paper on substance abuse in children. Part of the research was on predictors of drug abuse, and it found that 8th graders who had no supervision and have to fend for themselves for 11 hours per week or more were twice as likely to indulge in drugs. In Fan Man Yi's case, having grown up at an orphanage after being abandoned by her parents, she was spending almost every day of her life taking care of herself and tragically would follow down the path predicted by the JAMA study. At 16, she would be forced out of the orphanage and soon developed a drug addiction. Not long after, she turned to prostitution to pay for her habits. According to the records, we know money became incredibly tight in 1997 for Fan Man Yi when she had a son which sources would argue came from her clients or from the triades. 
that year, it was also believed that Fan Man Yi would meet a man with ties in the triads, a 34-year-old man named Chan Man Lok. The music in the club was loud, but Man Lok wasn't intending to talk. He ran a modest empire with two of his friends, Leong Xing Chou and Leong Wai Lun. Man Lok was seated at the tables when a lady walked in, dancing to the music. He looked at her and knew immediately that he had to talk to her. Hey, hey yourself, tell me, what's a girl like you doing in a club like this without any drinks in hand? He might have said. She grinned. Well, then what's a gentleman like you doing without helping a damsel in distress? Man Yi might have followed Man Lok for the rest of the night, an encounter that marked an even darker turn in her already difficult life. For while they laughed and shared drinks and drugs throughout the evening, they would also discover a mutually beneficial relationship, that Man Yi was a prostitute and a drug addict, and Man Lok ran a brothel and trafficked drugs with his two friends, specifically crystal meth. According to countless of meth users, meth doesn't blow your mind like most drugs do. Instead, it runs it on overdrive. The effects are often described as feeling razor-sharp, strong and indomitable. Some would even go so far to describe the experience as a clean feeling. Because you often feel all the attributes that make you a superstar at work whenever you're high on crystal meth. <laughs> but so potent is meth at tricking you that you've become your best self, that your mind ignores signals of hunger or thirst, which is why most meth addicts end up malnourished and sickly. <coughs> While there are many effects with extended use, one key effect is to feel so powerful that you are above the normal rules of society. As Man Lok and the trio were often high on crystal meth, the chief prosecutor at that time would be quoted saying, I think they went mad without realizing it. Living together in that flat, high on drugs, they started to believe their world was normal. They had only themselves against which to measure their sense of human decency. Torture became a game for them. In their twisted minds, it became acceptable. In the interrogation room, Man Lok was sweating. He was just asked by the interrogator why Man Yi's remains were found inside his refrigerator. I'll tell you everything. I've got nothing to hide. Officer, I'm not stupid. I know how it looks on me if the police found one of my girls who's obviously a sex worker, dead in one of my brothels. I had to find a way to hide the body. And we had to do it fast before she would rot and give us away through the smell. And she was also too big for us to keep anywhere. So, we chopped her up and kept her remains in the fridge. That's the truth of what happened. The interrogator looked at him, looked back at the mirror and stood up. Thank you for your time, Man Lok. And thank you for your cooperation. The interrogator left and repeated the inquiry in two separate rooms where Leong Xing Chou and Leong Wai Lun were seated. Both 
men give the exact same story that Man Lok did. Following this, the interrogator could have walked towards a separate holding area. This area was more for victims and witnesses, as opposed to suspects and criminals. He could have walked into another room and sat down. In front of him might have been a young girl, only 14 years of age. He would have begun telling her everything he had heard so far, from the drug use to the consensual prostitution to finally the overdose. The young girl would have sat in front of him, shaking. Prepared to refute everything the interrogator just learned. Back in 1997, Man Yi and Man Lok had met several more times. He became her frequent client. On one of those times, Man Yi was lying down on the bed as Man Lok walked into the shower. She was looking up towards the mirror on the ceiling before turning to a side. On the table, she saw Man Lok's wallet. And she started thinking of the times that he would just pull out stashes of notes to pay her whenever he was done. And she became curious. I wonder how much money he has inside. She opened up the wallet and found 4,000 Hong Kong dollars. Perhaps it was the fact that she was also his client for drugs or that her son was getting older and she felt that she needed more money. But something within Man Yi clicked that night in 1997. Man Lok left off and might have headed to a restaurant for dim sum with his friends. How much does it cost? He said. 600 Hong Kong dollars. The staff might have replied. Man Lok opened his wallet and noticed it was empty. His mind floated to the last person whom he met, the only one who could have had access to his wallet at that time. He signaled to one of his friends to make payment instead and thought to himself, Man E, you are dead. In May of 1999, in Hong Kong, a 14-year-old girl with no guardian walks into a police station. I need your help, she might have screamed. Two police officers immediately rushed over. Tell us, are you hurt? The girl shook her head furiously before explaining. There's this ghost that's been trying to kill me. Wait, sorry, a ghost? The police interrupted. Yes, a ghost. The ghost is a dead lady who has been haunting me every single night. You see, she is covered in tons of barbed wires and she has been slowly tortured to death. God the two police officers might have been thinking as they looked at each other and prepared to escort the young girl out. The ghost told me her name is Fan Man Yi. The two police officers stopped smiling. They knew who Fan Man Yi was, a missing person's case, reported over a month back. How could she possibly know who Fan Man Yi was? One of the officers might have thought. The girl would continue to divulge intricate details of how this supposed spirit has passed. This raised immediate concern in the policemen who quickly followed her to the scene of the crime. There, they would find body parts in a fridge and detain all three suspects who shared the same story. 
before hearing the other side of the story from the 14-year-old girl. So, tell me, what's the story here? The interrogator asked. The men are right that Man Yi was a drug addict and a prostitute. She also stole from Man Lok about $4,000. But it wasn't consensual like they said. Man Lok's men found her off the streets and brought her to him and demanded for her to return the $4,000 and $10,000 extra as interest. But she couldn't. So they brought her back to their apartment at number 31 Grandview Road, Tim Sa Choi, to be a prostitute. She didn't agree to whatever was happening. And what was going to... Why should I trust you then? The interrogator interrupted. The girl wasn't looking at him. And she wasn't talking either. It was as if she too was guilty. Wait, could it be? The interrogator was thinking. The girl looked up at him and said, I had a feeling it was for fun. So I tortured her as well. The police followed a 14-year-old girl into Tsim Sa Choi, a shopping and nightlife district in Kowloon, Hong Kong. It was May 1999, and the girl was leading them to 31 Grandview Road. They arrived at a building, about four stories high, that looked to have two units on each floor. The girl signaled them towards the right, and the police inspector noticed that they were approaching Block B. It got noisier as they passed by a group of shops on the first floor, then climbed to the second where there were more stores, before it got quiet on the third, which looked to be residential apartments. We're here, the girl might have said. The police officers looked at each other and opened the door. The stale smoke in the air failed to hide a smell more sinister, a smell more human in origin. A mixture of blood, sweat, and feces. The floor and walls looked exactly like how the house smelled, but with broken glass, a bed, metal rods, and wooden sticks. The police were alarmed, but not because of the decrepit state of the apartment. Their immediate focus was instead drawn to a Hello Kitty doll just lying there on the apartment floor. The girl proceeded to the fridge, and open it to reveal stacks of organs just lying inside. A police officer might have wretched. Then, the girl walked over to the Hello Kitty doll, held it up and said, Look inside. To some 6 million people in Hong Kong, the contents of the Hello Kitty doll might not have been a mystery. But for those who don't know, we must first understand the story that the 14-year-old girl was about to share. In the last episode, we learned about the three suspects believed to be the main perpetrators of the gruesome apartment scene. A 34-year-old Chan Man Lok, a 27-year-old Leong Cheng Cho, and a 21-year-old Leong Wai Lun. These three men had ties with the triades and were involved in illegal sex and drug trafficking. According to their version of the story, the organs found in the fridge belonged to a 23-year-old sex worker and drug addict named Fan Man Yi. They would note that she had overdosed, died, and were just trying to avoid drawing attention to their illicit activities. This version of events, however, 
would be refuted by the 14-year-old girl. In the records, the 14-year-old girl is given a pseudonym by some. Afong, they call her. And in some sources, Afong was dubbed the girlfriend of Manlok, a euphemism for Manlok's sex workers. Many mysteries surround this girl because part of her plea deal with the police was for them to withhold some key information about herself and her participation to the crime. In exchange, she would provide full transparency on what really happened. But one of her involvements was made public. Afong was heading over to her boyfriend's condo at 31 Grandview Road. It wouldn't be her first time there. She rushed up three flights of stairs to level three and knocked on the door excitedly. Let's see what the boys are up to this time, she might have been thinking. Xing Chou opened up the door and might have said, Hey Afong, we're just having some fun over here. Come and join us. She walked in and saw a lady on the floor with her boyfriend crouched over her. Hey Afong, Man Lok greeted her. We're just getting started. Come and watch. The lady might have been whispering and whimpering, but Afong couldn't tell. All she was interested was what they were doing. She watched the lady fall to the floor. The lady was backing into a corner. She saw her boyfriend continue to kick the lady's head and decided to keep count. What's the number again? Was it 48? 49? 50? She might have thought. Hey, Afong, want to join? Her boyfriend called out. Sure, why not? And she walked over. I had a feeling it was fun. She might have thought in the moment. But what was certain was that she said the phrase on record to the police when questioned what she thought about the torture. Against the vow nature of Manlok and the hopeless tragedy of Man Yi, it can be easy to brush aside this very detail. That Afong was not just a whistleblower, but involved in the crime herself. But as to what extent, we would never know. Part of a plea deal, Afong would detail what exactly happened in that apartment, of which listener discretion is to be advised. After Man Yi was captured and forced into prostitution, we believe Man Lok started thinking about the significance of Man Yi's actions. It wasn't merely the money that mattered, but the act of stealing was a challenge to the authority that he would have over his women. So, he progressed towards punishing Man Yi physically. It started with him forcefully joining the prostituting sessions, which then escalated to beating her across her entire body, including kicking her face reportedly 50 times. But there was something about the limitation of his own physical strength that motivated him to progress towards using weaponry. All three boys started using what they could find in their apartment, which sources say include metal bars, kitchen utensils, bits and pieces of furniture that they could find to beat her up. But perhaps what was most sinister was what they demanded of Man Yi during these beating sessions. For her to smile and tell them how excited she felt from being beaten. If she didn't, she must be prepared to be beaten harder. 
after being assaulted with weapons, Man Yi gradually grew more disfigured until no clients were willing to pay for her service and she could no longer repay her debt. But again, we don't think it had anything to do with the money as all three men progressed to more creative ways of punishment. It was reported that they started burning plastics and candle wax over her. When they ran out of things to burn, they would burn her. Predominantly her feet, so she could neither stand, walk, nor escape. With her open wounds, they progressed towards testing her tolerance by rubbing food, spices, dirt, urine, and feces. For her food, they would alternate between a mixture of starving her to feeding her her own excrement. Afong would also say that when Man Yi could no longer move, the boy said that it wasn't fun anymore. We believed what drove them to escalate their treatment was her reaction, which would satisfy them. Which was why when Man Yi could no longer give a bigger reaction, even if they had beaten her harder, they left her tied up with electrical cords suspended in the air, hung up to the ceiling fans. She would be there for hours, sometimes overnight. According to the records, everything happened in the span of a month, from March till April 1999. Afong and the boys were heading back home. They had already stayed out for hours. Afong felt like her bladder was about to explode and was ready to rush to the toilet. As she unlocked the door, she might have asked, We locked her up in the toilet properly, right? Yeah, like we always do, Manlok might have replied. As she ran to the toilet, she started to pick up an odour that was fouler than what she was already used to. She was about to sit down to pee when she caught sight of Man Yi or rather, what was left of her, lifeless in the bathtub. Um, Manlok, she might have called. He would rush over and verify that she was dead, before beginning to enlist his friends to cut her up. They picked up a saw and began sawing away, cutting through the little flesh that was left on her bones, and of course, her bones themselves. Strong consistent strokes to cut the bone cleanly. One of them headed over to the kitchen and began boiling water. Strong, heavy fire to bring the pot of water to a boil. With each part sawed off, they would boil them to prevent them from decomposing further before throwing them into the household garbage. They worked their way up until they reached the head and carefully boiled it inside the pot. Some sources would say that they used the same kitchen utensils that they used for their meals to stir the head inside the pot, cooking it evenly. Flesh on the skull, hair, eyes and brain matter would gradually fall off, leaving a dirty skull. They fished out the head, cooled it off and placed it on the table. In 1999, back in the apartment, the police were looking at a mermaid Hello Kitty doll. It had a two-piece consisting of a turquoise tube top and a fully covered bottom for its tail. The inspector held onto the doll and immediately felt sick in his stomach. 
he set it down and began to unravel some poorly sewn stitches on its head. Each thread slowly unraveled and the head of the Hello Kitty opened up to reveal a skull, which the police would match to Fan Man Yi. What we learned was that this gruesome discovery led to the murder being dubbed the Hello Kitty murder. In our research, it was hard for us to really verify everything that we learned because the sources were limited and the media's reporting varied from ambiguous to exaggerated. All the police had was what had happened after, which was the skull from the Hello Kitty, possibly DNA and blood samples around the house and on items claimed to be the weapons used against Man Yi. The rest were all from other sources. One story from the three men and another from this distraught 14-year-old girl. After the case was reported, a six-week trial, which concluded in November 2000, convicted all three men of manslaughter. The jury ruled that the remains were not sufficient to show if Man Yi was murdered by the three or died via self-induced drug overdose which the three men claimed. This meant that the jury couldn't prove intent of murder, even though it was likely caused by the trio. As such, they were only able to sentence them to mandatory life sentence. While it was difficult to tell what the public exactly felt at that time, our guess was that for those who believe Afong's story, they would have felt injustice to Fan Man Yi. As for Afong, sources suggest that she wasn't convicted of any charges. It seemed the plea deal was very much in her favour. At the time that the trio was charged, it would have been December 2000, and they had opportunity for parole in 20 years. As of now, we couldn't find any sources on their possible release. But what was scary was how the case revealed the fringes of Hong Kong. After the trial concluded, the apartment building became a conduit to commune with spirits, and it attracted a small following who would practice and seek out wisdom from the other side. It was said that CCTV cameras even captured a shadowy female lurking by 31 Grandview Road, who manifested inside the stores long after closing time. All this continued until September 2012, when the apartment building was finally demolished and rebuilt into a hotel in 2016. 